This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Sherry Kebhart. Sherry Kebhart, MA, is an award-winning writer and inspirational speaker, best known for her memoir, A Few Minor Adjustments, a memoir of healing, which has won several awards, including the San Diego Book Award for Best Published Memoir. After receiving an outpouring of heartfelt responses, Sherry was motivated to write two companion books, The Healing 100, A Practical Guide to Transforming Your Body, mind, and spirit, and poetry of peace. Her essays, stories, and poems have appeared in numerous publications and events, and she is a founding member of the Transformational Authors of San Diego. In 2019, Sherry was given the great honor to give the commencement speech at her alma mater, UCSD's Eleanor Roosevelt College. By sharing her experience and insight, Sherry continues to inspire people throughout the world on their writing and healing journeys. Meet Sherry at sherrykephart.com. Here is the interview with Sherry Kephart. In your own words, who is Sherry Kephart? That's a beautiful question. I look at myself, as I look at everyone, as an infinite being of light and love. I believe we're all connected. And so when I look at myself this way in the mirror, I see just my essence, the true essence behind all our finite selves. So when I look at myself this way, I'm able to look better at the world in the same way. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, A Few Minor Adjustments, A Memoir of Healing, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off-record. The first one had to be this one for you. What is healing to you, Sherry? That is an absolute massive question to start with. (laughs) Healing means so many different things to so many people, and it's changed for me over the years. But what it is for me now is transformation. I believe all of our lives are about growth and transformation. And so healing is just a way to go from one point in our lives to another. And true healing is about all aspects of ourself. It's not just the physical. It's the layers beneath it. And I have three questions. The next ones are about life itself. What is life to you? Well, it would be similar to healing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, And as a writer, I would say that All of our books and writing starts with a point, like an inception point where we enter the story 
and where we finish. And so life is about starting somewhere and arriving somewhere else. But again, as we, we know, it's not about where we arrive. It's what we experience along the way and our choices and decisions. So I look at it as a grand masterpiece and we are building and putting new shapes and colors and forms and exploring. And if we keep our heart open and our mind open to all possibilities, it can be so grand. And even in the dark times, so life to me is about embracing the light and the dark, the challenges and the opportunities equally, because all of them are so good for our growth and they can all be an adventure. Sometimes they're not the adventures that we would have chosen but they are adventures in themselves and can bring us to a beautiful place. So life is about exploration and embracing all of it. You said something interesting to me that I think I never heard it that way. The choices that we don't make. So that implies the most destiny, believing in destiny. I hear a lot of this idea of making choices. That's what fundamentally life is all about. Yeah, talk to me about destiny. Do you believe in destiny? I believe that we have free will and we have an inherent responsibility to make choices from an inspired place. So in regards to destiny, I think that it is an evolution, like it changes. And so we evolve with the way life is unfolding. So I think we have a say in how things happen. And so those choices we make and don't make, it empowers us or disempowers us. It propels us to our highest good or it brings us back in. So I think it's also having a dialogue with what we think is destiny, what we think is fate or out there. Um, we have an ability to, to be involved with that. So I think it's not a static answer. I think it's more of a discourse with life and what's under, underneath it. What do you think is the opposite of life, Sherry? The opposite of life? I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> the opposite of life would be stagnation because life is about change and evolution, as I've mentioned before. So if we're staying still and stagnating and not being willing to grow, then we are standing still and we're not involved in playing with what the universe is providing for us, this grand opportunity and so stagnation, yeah. What do you think is the ultimate purpose of the human experience? Absolutely, 100% is to love and be loved. There's nothing greater or higher than loving. So when you can't do anything else, you can still love. What do you love most about being a woman? The tribe of women, the bonding that we have to support and lift each other up. There's such a beautiful energy with the feminine that we are willing to be strong and independent and yet vulnerable and even delicate and fragile in moments. And we don't look at each other as breakable. We look at each other as formidable. And the beauty in that, like that yin and yang of just like we hold within the feminine, masculine and feminine. And I see that in my fellow um, women and I just love being a part of that tribe. Mm, yeah, the balance, right? The feminine and masculine, right? That we are able to dance with those energies. What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? <laughs> I would have to say 
maybe the stereotypes that are expected of us that are not so in place anymore. I mean, that's definitely changing. But what we even put on ourselves, like what does being a female mean? Like, does it have to be something particular? Um, We don't need to live within a confine of masculine or feminine. So I think being free to explore other realities and not being pigeonholed into, well, you're a female, so these things don't apply to you. Or you have to have a certain thing, like have to have a family and a husband or whatever those sets of things people think you need to have. And speaking of freedom, what is freedom to you? What is to be free, finally, let's say? Freedom is the ultimate, I believe, for anybody, especially with regards to healing. And so that freedom, I think, comes from within that absolute inner knowing that all is good and we're at peace. When we find that peace within us, we're free. No matter what shackles society or the finite reality places on us, we can choose that freedom. And so when we make that choice, that is the ultimate freedom because that's where it all comes from. So another question came to mind. What is your idea of a balanced life? (laughs) Slowing down. So for me specifically, everybody has something else they need. Some people need to speed up a little. But for me, slowing down, I used to be so fast and our lives are so fast. Most people's lives are just frenetic. And I think it's noticing just why am I moving that fast? Like, for instance, nature like doesn't speed along, but it gets everything done. So why am I speeding along? And when I slow down and pay attention more, then actually each thing I do is more purposeful and meaningful and more quality to it. And then I find that I actually accomplish more because everything has such a bigger impact. I don't need to do as much. I do less with more thought. And so balance to me is being at peace with the slower pace of life and just a more gentle ease about everything. I love that too. I love how you brought up nature. Yeah, I often say that, that we are not apart from nature. But for some reason, we think we are. We are nature itself. My other question relates to the current situation. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I believe the greatest need is something the Dalai Lama said recently. I listened to a talk he gave. And it's about oneness. It's about recognizing we were all one. We are all connected. We are all the same. We all wake up in the morning. We all have struggles physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. And one day we're all going to die. So why is there this separation? So I think that's the biggest challenge is whatever our circumstances, especially now, is seeing this oneness. And for the future, I would say that that is what we need most is to break down these barriers and notice all of our vast similarities. Our differences are so small. Yeah, that makes me think about the obstacles to perceive life this way. What do you think the main obstacles are? Well, I think it's patterns and conditioning that we have seen from our environment, from society, from the media, from our families and friends, and that neediness to belong. So we all want to belong and fit in, and so we create these parameters in which we live and think, okay, I belong to this group or I am this thing or I am this identity. But those don't really matter. 
So it's, it's kind of seeing where our beliefs are, where we're holding that energy. Like, am I identifying with this group and this thing? Or am I just a human being like everyone else? And that's the main common denominator. That's what we need to focus on. So it's looking at ourselves, looking within and saying, what am I holding on to? What identities am I holding on to? Yeah, I guess awareness is the only door to it, right, Sherry? Well, in practice. Mm, So it's like brushing your teeth. You don't do it once and then say, okay, I'm done. I don't have to ever do that again. It's like every day waking up and giving yourself the opportunity to ask the hard questions and look within. And how am I contributing to the situation in the world? What can I do to change? What can I do to think differently? And every day doing that, every moment, as much as we are able. And two more questions. The next one's about love. What is love to you? Love is the ultimate. It's, I mentioned it before, love is everything. It's the connection you have with nature, with other human beings, with your passions, your work, the food you eat, the words you speak. Love is everything. There's nothing that love isn't. So it's kind of like there is no answer because it's everything. What you said earlier was powerful and true, embracing everything, the dark and the light, as love. How are you able to embrace both equally, the bad, the good, light, dark? Well, I've found over the years that I don't learn a lot from the good times. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) So, I mean, they're wonderful. But in in truth, you know, my biggest inspiration, my biggest, uh, like, grandeur in this life is from the dark. So when I look back at, like, how I've evolved and changed and grown and to the person that I respect and love, those are from those places. So how could I not embrace them equally? Because they've helped me become the person I really want to be. And now I'm wondering if we could see love and understand life the way you do without challenges, without going through the dark. Oh, yeah. That, now that's the tricky one. <laughs> because that's the ultimate. So it's not needing the pressure of the unfortunate circumstances to bring us to this enlightened loving space it's and that's what's so important about these kind of things like you're doing with the podcast and books and connecting with other human beings we can learn from each other and so I don't have to go through what other people have gone through to learn their lessons and grow and so when I share that is one of the things I try the most to impart is what I've learned so you don't have to go through what I have to get where I am and to help yourself grow and transform on your journey. So I think that's so important is the sharing and bridging the gap in our humanity by sharing our darkness and lifting each other up to a lighter space. My last question, the warm-up question, what, where, and who is God to you? That is fun because that is the same as the other answer. It's love. (laughs) It's, it's absolute, unconditional, beautiful peace and love. Because I believe that's what it is for everyone. What, whatever your spiritual path or religion, it comes down to that. It comes back to love. And it does. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? I do. I think that religion has a lot of 
more guidelines and rules sometimes, and some spiritual practice do as well. But I think the main thing is I respect anybody's choice for however they want to be in this world, including with religion or spirituality. And as long as people are holding the highest for themselves and others, I think it's a beautiful thing. So let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you don't know that's such a loaded question. <laughs> well, I've always loved words. I think they're powerful. And I've always been writing since I was a kid. But the way I came into like writing about healing, wellness, and my memoir is a little bit different. It's because of my health challenges. I did scientific technical writing. And my master's degree is in medical and cultural anthropology. So I've done a lot of academic writing like I said, scientific, technical, et cetera, writing. But it wasn't the kind of writing I wanted to do. And when I got sick, which I'm sure you're going <laughs> to go into, yeah. I decided to write about more important things. I thought more important than technical manuals and things that would cure insomnia. So that is kind of where it started when I got sick. So there's something about writing and healing. Do you see that connection, Sherry? Oh, absolutely. I actually teach about healing through writing and the spirit of writing. And I believe, just like I said about life, writing is transformation. So when we write, we have an opportunity to heal our wounds through whatever it is we're working on in our, in our minds. So we can look at a situation or a like take memoir, for example, if something happened to you and you write about it, you have an opportunity to go back in time, look at that space again, and bring a different perspective about it. So we can see clearly, yes. Um, I love writing. It's something that helped me for so many years too. And how is writing a book the way we do different from journaling? This is something that I don't do. I have no experience with journaling. Do you do both? Oh, yeah. I've done journaling my whole life. So journaling is, I would say, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with yourself. It's you can see your highest self and the parts of you that are really hard to digest. And you get the opportunity to like get all that energy out of you. And like it's almost like a purge. So journaling to me is like just letting it out and clearing your mind. It's almost like, you know, taking out the trash, you know, <laughs> like getting that stuff that's cluttering us because we have so many thoughts and things that aren't us. Now, writing a book is a completely different experience. Um, let's just take, for example, a memoir writing or nonfiction about healing and wellness. So we, I believe we write everything twice when we write a book. So true. Yeah. So first time we write it, um, we write it for ourselves. It's kind of like journaling. We're dumping everything. We're getting it out. We're, we're inspired. And all of this comes out and we think it's all so important and it is, and we get it all out and then comes the editing process. And so now we have a choice. We can say that was enough. I just needed to get it out for me. Or we go to the second part of writing this and we say, okay, now this is for the world. So now I'm going to craft this and edit this down to what's helpful for everyone else. So when they receive it, they get the best of what I put out. 
So what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, A Few Minor Adjustments? Like I said, I'd always been a writer, but I wasn't doing the writing that was fulfilling to me. And then I got very, very sick. I traveled the world and ended up with an undiagnosed illness, which almost killed me several times. And after years of being sick without any answers, I was finally bedridden and being spoon fed to stay alive. And I decided I wanted to find a book that would help me understand and connect with other people that were going through something that I was going through. But I couldn't find anything like that. So as writers, we write the book we want to read. So I decided in, in my bed, in the hospital room, while getting IV treatments, I, I wrote I, to the best that I could physically. And as I got stronger, I wrote and wrote and wrote. And that created um, my book. And this is one of the main theme in your book. It's the mystery illnesses or undiagnosed illnesses. I actually never heard about that. So what are they, Sherry? The reason I wrote the book and I can talk to the illnesses is because I never wanted anybody to feel as lost, alone, and afraid as I felt. And I figured if I could share my story and help others feel that they're not alone and that they can heal no matter how bad their life gets, then it was worth every moment of me writing that book. And so the illnesses, there's quite a few, uh, and the journey is really about finding a diagnosis, but in the end, I find out so much more than a diagnosis. And so it's really about a complexity of having the mysterious undiagnosed illness, because when you have a, a diagnosis, say like diabetes or cancer or whatever you, as bad as they are, there is this relief in having some kind of name and identity to it. So people know how to act, that, what to do with you. There's doctors, there's specialists, there's institutes, there's, there's races, you know, there's funding. When you don't have a diagnosis, people go, well, okay. And then after a while, friends, family stop believing you. Um, doctors kind of set you aside and say, sorry, I can't help you. Basically go home and die. It's a very lonely place. You're an outcast, even in the sick community. And, you know, I was a world traveler, a marathon runner. I played beach volleyball. I was a fit and healthy individual. And I worked and did charity work. And I had a full life. And one day I just completely collapsed and felt very ill. And I spent years trying to figure out why. And I kept getting worse and worse. And I thought, this isn't normal. And yet I know there are so many people out there that are going through a similar situation. So again, connecting with other people who are really kind of slipping through the cracks in our medical system and in our society that are just disempowered and need care and help. I wanted to reach those people. So let me focus on healing. And did you have throughout your um, problem medical problem or health problem, did you have any idea of the cause yourself using your own intuition? I think it was such a long journey that different points along the way, I think one of the things that was most important for my healing was trusting my intuition. Despite, I had more than 20 symptoms and 
such as a really fast heart rate. It would get up to 180 to 190 beats per minute while resting. And I ended up having to have like an exploratory heart procedure. And I trusted my intuition with every step about what doctor to see and what they were telling me and what I needed. And when I really checked in with myself, I would say no. I said, despite what one person's saying, like one, one doctor, he wanted to put me on a series of treatments that would have compromised my immune system even further when it probably would have killed me. And I made a decision not to do it because he was guessing and he didn't take into account some of the things that I knew. And so we're in our bodies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Doctors and specialists and healers, as wonderful as they are, they don't feel and know what we do. So I look at them as like my generals and they have all this wonderful knowledge and information and I gather it up and I take it home and I think about what my plan is for me. I love this idea of self-knowledge, self-awareness and listening to the body and intuition. And speaking of intuition, just uh, to clarify that, what is intuition to you? The inner knowing of trusting yourself. It's profound trust. It's profound trust that our bodies know what we need to heal. We know what we need to heal. And so when we have that profound trust and guide, being guided by that and allowing ourselves to listen to that, then we will be on the right path. But it's when we second guess and we, we don't trust. So it's complete trust. Um, I'm wondering how do we know when we are listening to that voice in uh, somebody else's idea or our own, the mind itself that is attached to so many other ideas? How do we know? Well, we can do a simple thing by seeing our choices. Do they feel empowering? Do we feel our energy expanding or do we feel ourselves contracting? Do we feel disempowered? Do we feel insecure Or are we feeling like, you know, that choice when you just feel expanded and open and wow, this feels right. This feels good. So it's all about learning how to feel. We are in our minds so much in this world and it's a beautiful tool, but the mind is a tool. So feeling, learning how to feel again. I ask this question sometimes, not to everyone, about feelings and emotions. Do you separate them? Absolutely. So emotions are like the weather. Uh, They just come and go, and they're not who we are. What we feel about things and what we think about things, that's different. So emotions, you know, they're going to come and go. I stub my toe, I get angry, it hurts. But that's not how I feel about life. That's not how I feel about my toe. So it's very different. So emotions, we, we, we put too much weight on the emotions. If we guide our, let ourselves be guided by our emotions, we can get derailed very easily. What is emotional therapy, Sherry? Emotional therapy would be what heals each individual. It would be different for me, nature. Emotional therapy is allowing ourselves to completely be vulnerable and open up and say, okay, I go out in nature and I just allow the wind on my face and I allow myself to feel, say, the frustration from an earlier moment in the day or the sadness and grief of losing a loved one. Whatever those emotions are, I let them like the breeze, move past me and feel them. And then I can get to that place of freedom because they are released. 
And in your book, you say that there wasn't one thing in particular that helped me begin to heal. It was a hundred. And then you mentioned the treatments and the heart procedure, meditation, affirmations, and lots of uh, different healing modalities. I'll focus on some of them. Meditation. Talk to me about meditation for a moment. Oh, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> Mine too. Um, meditation sometimes gets misconstrued, I think, because meditation to me is not just sitting in full lotus position with your eyes closed, you know, chanting Om. You know, that is one way. But meditation can be everything. You can have meditative eating, meditative walking, taking a pause right here, taking a breath, and knowing I'm in a meditative conversation with you right now. So to me, it's about living in meditation. So of course, I do have a practice where I use certain techniques to clear my mind. I do chanting. I do breathing meditation. And I bring it out into the world in all ways that I can. So I believe that meditation is so important Yet there's not one way to do it. There are so many ways. And so there's not one right way. It's whatever you do, whatever works for you. So I say have fun and explore and try different kinds. But meditation is just a beautiful path to quieting the mind and creating stillness. And when we create stillness, we're more in touch with our true essence. And when we're more in touch with our true essence, we're more in touch with love. I have a question about meditation and mindfulness. Are they the same? I don't think so, no. And I would even go further to, even though I use the term mindfulness because it is a well, more understood term, I prefer the term beingness. So instead of being in our mind, which is a good step because it gets us to be aware of our thoughts and our activity of our brain and our actions and our behaviors, beingness is more like meditation. Because beingness is just being. You are in the flow of life. You are accepting and allowing and being in a state as opposed to trying to think or be a certain way. You just are. So med meditation is more like being. Being in the moment, living in the moment. And you mentioned that phrase too. So what is to be in the moment? Right now? It is, there's nothing in this world more important than our conversation. And the next moment will be just as important as this one was, but it will be in that moment. So giving my full attention as much as I can and my full devotion to whatever I'm doing. Stop multitasking for me, <laughs> you know, like looking at, okay, you know, someone said once, I don't know who it was, but multitasking is messing up. And it kind of made me laugh, but it's true because your your brain is really trying to do so many things at once, but you're only partially paying attention to everything. So why not pay it fully attention to one thing? And then when that's done, then you go to the next. And I also love this technique I learned from a book called Time Surfing. It was a Buddhist monk that wrote about he was stressed and he wrote these like seven things he did to de-stress himself. And one of them was taking a moment between each activity and pausing and saying, now I'm doing this. So let's say after we get off our conversation, I'm going to drive somewhere. I sit in my car and I just take a moment. I take a breath and say, now I'm going to drive my car. And now I've completely tuned in to the activity of driving. So I love, I love doing that. 
So it's focusing. Would you say concentration too? Use that word, concentrating on one thing only. I would, yeah, I mean, you could use those words. I think focus and concentration go back into the camp of mindfulness. Like it's like we're trying as opposed to I am just, this is just a natural progression. I am now in this moment. I think our society with all the beautiful technology we have and all the opportunities we have, everything kind of got piled onto each other. And so we try to like do all of this stuff and as opposed to just notice the moment. And so I think it's more of a noticing than a concentration or a, a focus. feels a little more forced. I'm wondering how do we know the difference between letting go and giving up? Well, giving up is like a sense of defeat, like maybe throwing our hands up in the air and And it has an emotional energy behind it. So when we talk about these things, tap into your emotion behind it. Like, what does that feel like? Giving up is a, you know, I failed. You know, life is horrible. I'm never going to be this or that. I'm never going to heal. Whereas letting go is, you know what? There's so many things that no longer serve me. Why do I carry them around when I want to make space for what's here and now and what's cut to come? So letting go is a release. It's a purposeful, beautiful natural release, just like life. Like we were once five years old. I had to release that when I turned six, you know, like I, I'm not <laughs> holding on to five anymore. So it's like, there's that natural progression of just letting, letting life flow, letting the days flow, letting our life evolve. And so when we give up, we are having charging by that negativity. When we let go, we allow and with a sense of grace, Talk to me about the poetry group you joined. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you have a, a book also that I'll be asking questions in a moment. Yeah, so poetry has always been my first love as a writer. It's just something about the way in which we get to play with language and say things in ways that we never get to really explore when we have conversations. So to me, poetry is love. Like I said, everything's love. But when I was as sick as I was and I started healing, uh, my doctors told me I should have some fun because I had been trying not to die for many years. And I thought that was a really good goal. But they said, you know, part of your healing could be having some fun again. And I thought, what am I going to do? I was in my 30s and just like so worn down, very, very weak. Like, what could I possibly do for fun? And then I thought poetry. I could write poetry. And so I joined a senior center, even though I was in my 30s. <laughs> joined, I joined a senior center writing group, poetry group, mm -hmm. because, you know, that was my speed at the time. And I met a beautiful group of people and we wrote from prompts and poetry that just was needed to escape me from all of the trauma that I had been through. And it was so funny because talk about letting go. The seniors in my group one day, like, took me aside and said, Sherry, do you need to go to counseling or something because your poetry is really dark. And I thought, you know what? This is a way to liberate myself from what I've been through. So I write this way in order to move past it. And it's freeing. And if I didn't have an outlet to get it out, it would stay stagnant and stuck in me. And that would cause me a lot of dis-ease. So poetry was a way to let out the darkness. There's a part where you say, and I walk small through the forest of dark thoughts asking to be shown the path. 
So this is the beginning, the first um, three lines of the section. You can just bear with me for one second. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I have it. So just let me put this back up. Yes, do you want me to read that? Yes, please, yes. And I walk small through the forest of dark thoughts, asking to be shown the path. Yet it is only when I stand tall that I make my own way to the place illuminated by peace. You said death was everywhere, but so was life. I love that, Sherry. Embodying life itself in embracing everything. So that was profound to me. Not knowing that you'd be speaking about this from the very beginning of the conversation. What was the most profound lessons that you have learned from your healing experience and the message that you want us to take from your experience or perhaps from your life even as a legacy? No matter how dark your life gets, there is always light. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes you can't see it at all. But if you believe, it's there. Do you believe in reincarnation and past lives and life after death? I don't have any evidence to support <laughs> um, but I, I'm very open to those possibilities and we shall see. Yeah, I am definitely open to it. I've uh, had a lot of exploration in regards to spiritually minded conversations about it. Uh, again, I, I don't have a firm belief either way. I just, I'm always open. So yeah. Talk to me about your other two books, The Healing 100, A Practical Guide to Transforming Your Body, Mind, and Spirit, and also your Poetry of Peace book. Yes. So after I wrote the memoir, a lot of people were like, what did you do to heal? Because I was so sick. I mean, I'm wheelchair hallucinating, you know, 30 pounds less than I am now, like barely survived. And now I'm thriving and, and still healing, but doing really well. And I said, well, like you, you kind of mentioned it earlier. There wasn't one thing that healed me. It was about 100. So it's a companion book to the memoir, basically giving people information. I'm like, there's so many things we can try to open up ourselves to healing. And that's just a lot of the things that I tried and did that brought me to a whole nother, a whole nother level in my healing. And the poetry book as I said before, I love poetry. And this was the language through which my illness kind of came out. And I look at our lives as four parts. We see the world, then we can go through darkness, and then we go into the light and we arrive with peace. And it's kind of a cycle. So this has four sections and those it's the ascension through those parts. And the poetry kind of goes through that and arriving um, with peace at the end. And then there's another cycle in our life. So that's kind of the way that book goes. So they're both companion books to the memoir. And I'm very happy with those. Yeah, I'll have them listed too. I think I have this in the, your biography. Would you like to add anything or read a passage from one of your books? I can share one of my favorite lines from my book. So I believe humor heals. And one of the beautiful things about writing this memoir is although it's a very serious and grave topic, I injected a lot of humor to not only help me, <laughs> but to help the readers along with the story. So I'm just going to read this one line. It's a journal entry, 
And again, everything in my book is all true. (laughs) And it says journal entry. You know you're having a bad week. When you call 911, the paramedics come to your house and one of them notices that you've rearranged your furniture. So basically, the paramedics had come so many times to my house, (laughs) they were familiar with my setting. And the reason that's powerful is because, again, like I was able to look at the situation so differently now as I wrote the book. And that is healing, isn't it, Sherry? That's what healing is all about. Right. Changing perspective and seeing the opportunity. It is all about seeing the opportunities and challenges. That's what life is all about. Life, uh, freedom, everything that's worth contemplating, uh, these high states of being. They have to do with perspective. From my view, it's actually coming from a state of mind to a state of heart, living from that space of love, Mm. then everything changes. Absolutely. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? I, I believe success is a measure of how we navigate the world through the lens of kindness. I believe if we do everything from that space of being kind to ourselves, nurturing to others, that is a beautiful way to determine whether you're a success. I believe the financial side and the number of followers and all of those things can be beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But how we treat one another, how we treat ourselves, that would be my measure. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving, losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Yes, I would eat a lot of dark chocolate and pizza really quickly. Good. I will say I'm fortunate that I've lived a very inspired and adventurous life. So like tangible, like bucket list items, I've done most everything I've set out to do. But I, what I would do is connect even deeper and more with the people I love. And one of the things I did when I was almost dying as I made a list of five things I wanted to do before I died, because I was close. And one of them was, the, the first two were laugh until you cry and cry until you laugh. <laughs> and I did those. And another one was save someone's life. And so that doesn't have to be necessarily like pull them out from a burning building, but give them the opportunity to be heard. And you can save someone by just listening. So those kind of things are just so important. So I would I try to do those every day, but I would do more of those. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know for sure that I'm glad for everything that I've been through, the hard stuff and the good stuff. I know for sure that my heart is full with love, and that is the best thing that anyone could ever experience in this world. And I also know for sure that I'm very grateful to have this experience, but also excited about whatever's to come. And I don't need to figure it out. And I don't need to know what's around the corner to be happy. Thank you so much for your courage, your beautiful spirit, your authenticity, your profound wisdom, your message, your mission, everything. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? 
Yes. So I'm pretty much everywhere online. You can go to my website, sherrykephart.com. My books are also available at, you know, bookstores and audiobooks, um, Kindles, you know, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And I'm working on a new project right now, which I'm really excited about. So there's going to be more about that in the future. Wonderful. Keep me updated. <laughs> we will be in touch. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much again, Sherry. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sherry Kephart and her work, please visit sherrykephart.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.